batten down the hatches, you bare chest Brendes. Because it's episode number 99 of the Blind Boy Podcast. 99 episodes. What the fuck are we at? What is the crack? Um, how are you getting on? Charming evenings all round, charming mornings all round, I hope. I was uh, gigging in Kerry at the weekend, down in Waterville, doing a Rubber Bandits gig. Um, You forget that rural Kerry is one of the most fucking beautiful places on earth. Christ. We, uh, so we driven, drove down from Limerick to Kerry, to Waterville. It's, it, Waterville is like, it's on the coast, like, so it's a fine drive. You're talking about three hours from Limerick. And we fucked it into Google Maps, you know. Now, I think Google Maps deliberately, when you're going somewhere like Kerry or somewhere rural, or I had the same thing up in Donegal, I think Google Maps deliberately takes you on a scenic route. Because it didn't take us on this direct route. It took us through these really small winding roads through the countryside of rural Kerry. And it blew my fucking mind. I just could not believe how stunningly beautiful parts of Kerry were. In particular, we got to this place, I think it was called the Balahedrine Pass. And it's just this real straight road like you'd see in America. Surrounded by these mountains. Do you know, enveloping in on top of you. And... I don't know, you, if, if you'd have woke, if I fell asleep and you'd have woke me up and told me I was in the middle of Afghanistan, I'd have believed you. It, it was like Afghanistan, it was just this, I think it was by getting a squint at it, it looked glacial. Looked like there would have been somewhere with a glacier there at one point, I could tell by how the stones were kind of picked out. But, there was a couple of sheep minding their own business, and then just this vast, beautiful expanse of, of plains enveloped by rocky mountains and then up hills to queer old areas that had pine trees and moss and this lovely wet smell um, so it was fucking gorgeous it was fantastic being being a city person and to be confronted with the awe and beauty of nature but somewhere that's only like two hours from where I live you know um, it got me thinking about Another place in Ireland that's the most one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, quite close to where I was in Kerry, Valencia Island, which is Valencia Island's in Kerry. It is, yeah, it's off near Dingle. And then there's another place which I haven't been, but I absolutely want to go to. And not only do I want to go there, but I think I want to do a podcast from there, just myself, with uh, my mic. There's a place called the Garnish Islands off West Cork which has a microclimate. It has a slight Mediterranean microclimate because of the Gulf Stream and part of the island is shielded from the Atlantic. So so there you go. Go to rural Kerry if you're near it. It's fucking beautiful. Christ. Um, so th- th- this podcast is not about rural Kerry. It's also not about... I was just thinking about... I ended up inside an Argos, you know, to buy some weightlifting gloves. And I, I, 
I saw a pile of Argos catalogues and I realised, holy fuck, I haven't read an Argos catalogue in years because because of the internet and smartphones and I, I, it got me thinking back to Jesus when I was a fucking child right there was no fucking internet and especially if you're in bed right so there's no TV there's only one TV in the house downstairs so if I'm up in bed and I can't sleep I've no fucking smartphone I've nothing I used to read the Argos catalogue like I'd have one Argos they only did two a year I think it was and I would read an Argos catalogue back to front utterly enthralled in it just looking at various products household products and I'm talking nine years of age ten years of age looking at cufflinks you know and it used to keep me engaged for fucking hours and I think back and I go how the fuck did I spend so much time staring at an Argos catalogue? You know, accepting this as perfectly reasonable entertainment for bed. But I did. And so what I did now was, because the thing is, I've spoken about it before, I'm not great at sleeping. I won't say I have trouble sleeping. I don't have trouble sleeping. I just don't like sleeping. When I get into bed... I don't really have the type of brain that just switches off. So if I get into bed, I'm liable to get excited about, I don't know, cockroaches. I get excited about cockroaches and do a lot of reading about cockroaches on my phone. But I was always like that, of course, right? Before I got a smartphone, like I would have gotten a smartphone in 2012 maybe, 2013. Before that, I would just have a, a large pile of books beside my bed like four foot pile of everything and anything you can imagine encyclopedias psychology books nature books whatever and when I was in bed I would simply read them until I'm ready to wind down but now I don't do that anymore I've no books beside my bed because I've got a smartphone and I've got Wikipedia or you know The Guardian or whatever fucking articles I want to read so now when I go to sleep, I crack open the fucking, the iPhone and just inject a lot of blue light into my eyes, which keeps me continually awake. So I end up getting maybe five, six hours of sleep. Whereas back in 2011, I was getting eight hours of sleep because I was just reading books. And I'd love to go back to that. I, may, I know I made a promise in January. I said my New Year's resolution was to get more sleep. And for a while, I managed to keep the phone away from my bed. But I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I would get too excited about... I I don't know, the, the, the Lebanese Civil War in the 80s. I would just get an insatiable desire to learn about the Lebanese Civil War. And I have to satiate that desire. By taking out my stupid fucking smartphone. And blasting my face with a lot of blue light. That's just going to keep me awake more. But before the smartphone, if I got an insatiable desire to learn about Lebanon, I'd have to... I used to write it down. Yeah, I'd have a notepad beside me and I'd say, go on to Wikipedia in the morning on your laptop and learn about Lebanon if it's that important to you. And I'd write it down as a note of things I have to look up. 
and then I'd simply grab into my pile of books and read about whatever was present. Do you get me? That all changed as soon as I got a smartphone. Now I'm like, if I think it, I can learn about it. But going back before that, when I was a kid or a teenager and I didn't have any money, um, and I didn't have a big pile of books that I liked beside my bed, all I really had was the fucking Argos catalogue. That was it, really. Um, Argos catalogue, or if I was lucky, something like FHM that would have belonged to one of my older brothers, which were great. FHM was class, because it was just a lot of interesting articles and a lot of interesting facts. I used to enjoy it. But, yeah, I'd spend hours reading the fucking Argos catalogue. So I got one today. To just sit down. I made a promise to myself. I'm going to sit down with a cup of tea. And I'm not going to have my smartphone. And I'm going to try and read. An Argos catalogue. Not because I'm looking for something to buy. Because it wasn't about purchasing. My engagement with the Argos catalogue as a kid. It was never about. I want this. I want that. It it, it really wasn't. I, I would You'd sometimes fantasise about. What would it be like to have this thing. But you'd never aspirationally go to this catalogue. Because I didn't have any fucking money. And there's no way my parents were getting it for me. I mean, my dad worked in an airport. My ma packed shells and duns. So running in with the Argos catalogue and saying, I want this, was not going to be met with a positive result, we'll say. So I sat down with it. And it was It was weird. I had to actually fight. So I was sitting down, just, just the whole, the way you'd read an Argos, for listeners outside of the UK and Ireland, the Argos catalogue, Argos is a shop and it sells everything. Everything you can imagine. Not food, but everything that isn't food, Argos sells it. And they would sell it through these huge catalogues, these giant books, like a phone book. And it just has pictures of everything you can buy in there. Hundreds of thousands of things with the prices beside them and very brief descriptions. And it has, I don't know, how many pages has this got? 2,000 pages of just objects and pictures. And you go into the shop uh, with the number of the thing you want and then you buy it. They have it in a warehouse at the back. So that's Argos. So I sat down with it today for the crack. This is not sponsored by fucking Argos, by the way. I would let you know if it was. It is not. But, yeah, I was just flicking through it the way you do. The whole way I used to flick through the Argos catalogue is I'd, I'd never get a particular pang. Interestingly enough, I was never interested in age-appropriate items. I never went to the toy section. I never went to the video game section. I wasn't about that. I was into coffee machines are gardening tools again no intention of getting these things I don't know why it just it used to just make me feel good so I started looking through it and noticed after a while the first thing I noticed was trying to fight my hand if I saw something that I liked like I think I saw a set of cutlery and I wanted to see it more. So my finger fucking pressed on it as if I could enlarge it. Like it was on a screen. So that freaked me out a little bit. 
and then I found my brain wanting me to turn up the brightness on the page. So once I'd gotten over this, which... It was shocking and depressing. Like... I don't... I'd like... I'd, it, it's maybe once every four months am I actually going to read something on a piece of paper. I, I very much use my Kindle a lot for reading. And, like, I still have, I have a bunch of books, but I don't crack them open that much. I certainly not books with pictures in them, like an Argos catalogue. So, I had to get my brain around, like, dealing with, right, this thing is not on a fucking, an iPad. And then I finally got into it. And, my mind kind of went back to how I used to very calmly appreciate the Argos catalogue and I found, I found myself on a, on a page full of bins it was ki- kitchen bins do you know because that's just the type of page I would have looked at in bed when I was a kid something boring and utilitarian like kitchen bins because I'm just confronted with this plethora of different bins and What I soon find is I'm looking at it and you try and find yourself within the page. Like this is a page full of various different bins and it follows this narrative. You've got at the very, the top, it always goes from cheap to obviously most expensive and that sets up immediately. That's like the setup of a story and your brain will find the narrative in it. So I start off and it's like the first kitchen bin there is 18 euros. And I'm looking at it going, right, 18 euros, very basic bin. And you read the specs of the bin. You know, what does it say? It's 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 got a bin bin liner retaining ring. It holds the bin liner in place. It's semicircular in shape. And it has a stylish metal look. That's it. 18 euro. And once you read that, you're going, yeah, okay, it's a bin. I wonder what's next. Wonder what's next. I wonder what this bin here for fifty euro does. And then you look at the fifty euro bin and you notice Ah, it's a bit bigger. Seventy-three centimetres in height, a depth of twenty-nine centimetres. It's bright red. It has a fifty litre capacity. It's got a fucking pedal. So then you start going, right, okay, that's the middle bin. That's the middle bin. And once you get that far. It's like the middle bin is your bit of conflict. The first bin that's 18 euros, that's your setup. That gets your tongue hanging out for bins. And then you start getting aspirational and thinking, what's next? You know, what's next in this story? But then, you know, once you get to the middle bin, there's got to be like, you're going, what's the fucking high-end bin? These are just bins. You just put rubbish into them. They're in the kitchen. They smell. But what's the best bin? And that's when you start to look to the other page. And there's a fucking a kitchen bin for 220 euros. And you realise at that point, because you, you, when you see the 220 euro bin, you're immediately struck with this really... I'm struck with a strong reaction. A sense of contempt. A, a sense that this 220 euro bin is cheeky. It's like, who the fuck are you? Who the fuck are you, 220 euros for a kitchen bin? You cheeky bollocks. The fuck are you doing on this page? Who the fuck would buy a tw- €220 Euro kitchen bin? And you go into the specs. And, like, okay, it looks different. It looks more like a PC tower than a bin. It's larger. It's still only 
50 litres, like, so it's the same, it holds the same amount of rubbish as the bin for 50 quid, but it's 220 euros. It's got a 10 year guarantee, alright, fair enough. Alright, here we go. You don't have to touch it. You wave your hand over it, and it magically opens with a robotic flap at the top. But you realise, this bin is the baddie. Okay, 18 euro bin, nice little humble bin, not out to harm anyone. 50 euro bin, 50 euro bin's grand. Maybe a bit of notions about itself, it might have done good for itself, but ultimately the 50 euro bin... I can't imagine the 50 euro bin being a prick to the 18 euro bin, but that bin that's 220 euros, you better believe that bin is a dickhead. And this dickhead bin has arrived into this this story of the Argos page to fuck everyone else's shit up, to be mean, to be rude. So, I always found myself rooting for the cheaper bins. I was never rooting for the expensive bin, because I recognised... It's frivolity. I recognise that this bin is silly. And it's the same with all Argos pages. You know, frying pans, fucking hedge clippers, lads. You've got your entry-level hedge clipper, then you have your medium hedge clipper, and you go, okay, it's more expensive, but I can understand why it's value for money. And then you've got this fuck-off hedge clippers made by JCB, or someone, JCB, who have no business making hedge clippers, and it's 60 quid. And you're left wondering, who the fuck buys a 60, 60 euro hedge clippers, lads? Who buys a 220 euro bin? And at a young age, I found myself forming these strong narrative opinions about whatever objects were on the page. Because what the fuck else am I supposed to be doing? I've no internet. This is all I have. Like, it's not only represents... It's frivolity. It's what happens when consumerism goes too far. And, I, and, and and the feelings that I was getting, it's like I was getting those same feelings when I was nine. It's like I was learning to critique the frivolity of capitalism at a young age. And that's what the Argos catalogue was doing for me. What you have on an entire page is essentially, it's like a capitalist class structure based on what's achievable and attainable. And most people will look at it and when I was looking at it, I was going, right, I'm that 18 euro bin. That's the, that's the bin I can imagine having. But with hard work, I'd like to see myself being able to get that 50 euro bin. But that 220 euro bin, something about that is wrong. I felt that. And it used to excite me and make me angry. The same way it did this morning when I sat down with the Argos catalogue and I reappraised what was it about this that would actually entertain me as a child. So the big expensive bin is the baddie and that baddie bin is battling with the more humble bins for supremacy. The fuck am I talking about this week? The fuck am I talking about? So that was it. So I was there, yeah. 13 years of age forming very strong opinions about hedge clippers and fucking desk lamps that I'll never own. What was I not interested? Never give a shit about duvets. Outdoor gazebos. I used to like outdoor gazebos and I used to very much fetishise um, outdoor camping equipment. I used to enjoy that. I had a thing for power hoses. 
yeah, so, I don't know, just a little, look, fuck it, it's the whole thing about this podcast, I can talk about whatever I want, I felt it necessary to give 20 minutes of my time there to reappraise and reevaluate the strange cultural relationship I had as a child with Argos catalogues, and I think, I think it rings true, I think it's something that a lot of people would have had, unless you're 19, in which case you just went onto Amazon or played a freemium app when you were a child. Um, then, of course, as well, look, let's be honest. Um, now, this was the dregs. This was the dregs of it, lads. But later millennials, such as myself, will remember, like, now, this is the dregs, lads. But when you're 12, 13, all you're doing is thinking about sex. And there was no pornography in Ireland. There was none. There really wasn't. There uh, no access to the internet for it. And if you were lucky, someone's sweaty, grubby father had managed to smuggle some in from England. And then a magazine was passed around a very privileged circle in the schoolyard. But you're talking rare shit, lads. So you had to turn to the fitness section of the Argos catalogue. That's what you had to do. That's all you had. Do you know? And what what it sometimes reminds me of is... Uh, there's a chapter in James Joyce's novel, Ulysses. Uh, the chapter, Le- Lestrigonians, I think is the chapter. And the character, Leopold Bloom, visits the National Gallery. And he goes to the National Gallery under the pretenses of appreciating art. But really what he's doing is there's some plaster statues of Greek and Roman goddesses. And he looks at these plaster statues... And he basically gets the horn off the statues. He's, he's not there for art. He's there to sexualize these naked plaster statues. Because it's, what is it, 1914 or something the novel is set? 1914, 1915. And in that society, there was nothing in any way visually sexualized in any way anywhere. So this character, Leopold Bloom, is now sexualizing fucking greek statues and his internal monologue is sexualizing them i think he even gets a horn and he wonders whether or not the statues have got rectums underneath their plaster gowns do you know but leafing through the argos catalogue the fitness section as a child as an adult i now kind of realize is it quite similar to what joyce was chatting about there do you know looking back now i'm wondering was the Argos, was the fitness section of the Argos catalogue unnecessarily sexualised or was it merely my teenage brain sexualising it? I mean, I feel kind of bad because it was just some poor model working trying to sell a fucking treadmill in a sports bra or a pair of shorts. Actually, for, for argument's sake, now, let's look at this month's Argos catalogue and see fitness section. No models. They have gotten rid of models from the Argos catalogue. It's just treadmills. And there's one. Yeah, they've definitely massively desexualized the Argos catalogue in 2019, which is probably a good thing. I remember it being slightly... I don't know, I'm biased. I'm biased. I Argos catalogues in my time when I was a young fella... I don't know, what was it, were they actually 
getting models and asking them to pose in, in ways that were suggestive or was it my young horny mind I don't know but I can say in 2019 slim pickings lads if you were to have a crack at an Argos fitness section catalogue if you were on a desert island and had no access to uh, any pornography you know that's how it worked but mostly my relationship with the Argos catalogue was wholesome a very wholesome relationship that I don't think it was about it wasn't aspirational capitalism I wasn't looking at these things really going I want that I want that I want that it's a, it was a narrative of structure of society and culture and how in our society you judge people by what they own if you remember one of the earliest episodes of this podcast I think it might even be the first episode did you hear about Erskine Fogarty which is one of my short stories where I wrote I wrote a short story about a man who overly fetishised an incredibly expensive American fridge freezer to the point that it destroyed his life and he lost his house in the recession he lost his family in the recession everything was gone because he had managed to build his personality around the things he owned but then at the very end when everything is crumbling the one thing he won't leave go of is this two and a half thousand euro American fridge which he drags with him down home to Limerick and I do think my childhood of flicking through Argos catalogues a lot of that would be in Erskine Fogarty I just knew you'd look through the Argos catalogue and you just you'd look at the fucking the fridge for three grand and you go what sick fuck wants that what 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 emptiness and sadness exists in a person's soul that they need the 3000 euro fridge when the 500 euro fridge is perfectly fine do you know when the 500 euro fridge kind of does the same shit you can't justify that 3 grand in the same way you can't justify the 220 euro bin lads you have your hand over it and it opens big fucking swinging mickey it's not worth 150 quid more than the grand bin for 50 quid do you know this week's podcast is not about bins and it's not about Argos catalogues it's uh, what I'm it's it's it has nothing to do with any of these things I like I, I heard recently that there was can't remember what it was but there's podcast courses are becoming a thing now like in America there's full on how to do a like a, a degree in making podcasts right and there's podcast courses in England and Ireland now and it got back to me that one podcast course it was like a beginner's podcast course they had like a lecture that used my podcast as an example to analyze because of the success of this podcast how it went from nothing to having a big load of listeners god fucking help them god help them if they decide in their podcast course that this is the fucking episode they decide to analyze because I've just spent a fucking half an hour talking about the Argos catalogue and then the fuck you're worse for listening you're worse for listening lads that's all I'm going to say right this isn't about Argos catalogues okay it, 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 I wanted to do something completely different and I am 
going to do that. We're a half an hour now, so we might as well do the, uh, we'll do the old ocarina pause. I have both the ocarina and the Aztec death whistle with me. So we're going to mix the two of them. Actually, yeah, we'll do it. Here we go now. Here's that old bit of synchronicity. The bit of synchronicity is kicking in, unbeknownst to myself. I want to do... This would be a climate change podcast. I touch upon climate change uh, the odd bit on the podcast. So I want to speak a little bit climate changey. Currently, at the moment, the, the Amazon is on fire, which is fucking heartbreaking because that prick Bolsonaro up in uh, Brazil is a right-wing bollocks who's a climate change denier and wants to open up the rainforest for utter exploitation for its resources um, evil prick but uh, for this week's ocarina pause I have in my left hand my trusty ocarina which comes from Peru a section of the rainforest is in Peru and I have my Aztec death whistle which is from Mexico uh, going down to I think Honduras Again, touching on the rainforest. So I have two instruments in each hand that are emblematic and indigenous to the Amazon rainforest, more or less. So I'll have a crack at each one. First off, we'll start with the little ocarina. First of all, the ocarina pause. There's going to be an advert here for something, some bullshit. Hopefully bins. Wouldn't that be nice? But we'll play the ocarina. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The sweet tones of the Peruvian Andes. Now let's let's get fucked up. Let's let's uh, bring out this death wish. The violence of it. But it's Sepulchora. They were from Brazil, weren't they? Right, here's the Aztec death whistle. It's supposed to sound like someone screaming to their death, but it just sounds like me when I get a chest infection. So there you go, that was the combined ocarina and Aztec death whistle pause. Support from this pod for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via the Patreon page. Alright? Would you like to be a... It, it's a free podcast. I put it out for free. You can listen to it for free if you want. Um, It's not sponsored. I don't have any sponsors on it. No one's sponsoring the podcast. Fuck them. It's grand. Instead, this is a patron-funded podcast, more or less. So it's funded by you. You, the listener. Go to patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. And you can give me the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. All right, and that keeps me going. That pays my my pays my wages, pays my fucking all my bills, everything. It is incredible. It's life changing. For the first time in my life, I have a regular source of income while also being creative. 
thank you so much to everybody. But if you can't afford it, you don't have to. That's how it works. It's a model of soundness and fairness. And it keeps everyone happy, to be honest. And it keeps this podcast churning out every week. God bless. So, yeah, like I said, I want to I wanna do a little bit of uh, a climate change podcast. Because I was about 50, 60 podcasts deep. And a lot of people were asking me, you know, why why was I never talking about climate change? And the answer that I gave about 20, 30 podcasts back was, I didn't want to talk about climate change because it was too depressing. And I don't like this podcast being a depressing space. I like it to be uplifting and inspirational and motivational. And for me to be dwelling too much on climate change I felt that the time was was too bleak and then <clears throat> then I changed my mind um it's still possible to, for me to speak about climate change but to do it in a way that inspires like I don't want to go into the what ifs or what may happen or what will happen of climate change I don't want to do that because of people's climate anxiety you can find that shit out for yourself but what I do want to look at is uh, solutions ways that we can change things that we can do to either feel a sense of personal empowerment the one thing climate change is fucking real the science is there it's happening it's a given right Um, don't believe these climate change denial pricks Climate change denial, if you follow the fucking money there, lads. Climate change denial is very heavily funded by some incredibly rich evil cunts. So, fuck that. Do not... Don't even argue with them. Just... Go about doing what you can do. Ultimately, it is... The people with the most power are politicians around the world. Um, We ourselves in our individual lives can make changes, obviously. But ultimately, this all comes down to... Uh, politicians, corporations, shit like that, they're the ones who have the who have to put things into action so that we can reverse this shit. So this is I think I realise now why my unconscious mind decided to talk about the Argos cat like for a half an hour because it is kind of tying in a little bit with what I want to talk about. One of the like in order for us to go forward as a society with significantly reduced carbon, right? In order for us to go forward as a society that is more environmentally friendly and isn't doing as much damage, it requires, I don't want to say a reduction in our quality of life, right? But a huge driver of climate, ta- climate change, a massive driver, is consumerism. Now, consumerism isn't about meeting our needs. Consumerism is about meeting our desires, specifically our irrational desires. Consumerism means really, really wanting a ton of shit that we don't actually need. Consumerism is... It's its where happiness gets tied into a culture of ha- um, owning shit. So, we live in a culture and society where we are conditioned from a very young age to believe that happiness and contentment comes from 
purchasing and owning things and that results in a huge amount of unnecessary waste okay and the Argos catalog is actually a perfect fucking example because yes I, I said I, I was looking at it as a kid and I learned to critique capitalism from it but at the same time if you sit down with an Argos catalog lads and you flick through the what, what the Argos catalog is really it's loads and loads of choice of different things that you can own and different tiers of choice and I get a comforting feeling from it because I come from a culture of consumerism I come from a culture where I've been raised since birth to believe that happiness comes from buying things and it comes from owning things alright now that's bullshit that's not true that really isn't that's that's something we can reverse like I said opening up that page full of bins you don't need the 220 euro bin a bin is just something that you store waste in you know so in in a more environmentally friendly society there'll be less choice regarding bins because there doesn't need to be 60 bins on the page 60 bins on the page is a hell of a lot of fucking waste Think of all the materials that go into those bins. The metal. The plastic. Okay? None of them seem to say recycling on them. Think of all the waste when those bins get thrown away. Do you know what I'm saying? Everything on the Argos catalogue. What am I looking at here? I'm looking at at least 150 different toilet seats, lads. So what you have there is excessive choice uh, sold to us as happiness so an environmentally friendly future you will need to have a reduction of choice that does not mean a reduction in quality of life it means truly addressing and critiquing the frivolities of consumerism you know and some of us grow up with that to an extent I mean, Jesus, look, my fucking... Anyone who grew up in Ireland in the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, they grew up with that. There wasn't that huge amount of choice. And it doesn't need to be the Soviet model where there's just one type of toilet seat. It means instead of 100 toilet seats or 100 bins, there's 20. And we can live with 20. Okay, so it means a whole rehaul of the culture of consumerism. And to do that would have a... It would reduce the carbon footprint of the world greatly. Because, as I've talked about in previous episodes as well, about just the exploitation of, of natural resources in Africa and all this t- to keep our lives going, to keep us buying the things that we think we need. So, also what I want to speak about is... A huge thing that will need to be addressed in our society going forward is our diets. Now, as you know from listening to this podcast, I, for the past maybe six months, have switched to a mostly plant-based diet. I am plant-based five, six days a week, and I have meat one day a week. And it's it was just a very, very easy transition. Really, really easy transition. And what it's done too is it's made me really appreciate that bit of steak that I have once a week or the chicken that I have once a week it's made me really appreciate it and look forward to it and the rest of the week 
it's pulses and lentils and vegetables and I'm flying it I'm getting on great and it's caused me to be far more creative with my cooking or whatever but not everyone has got the horn for a 100% plant based diet not everyone wants that so where are the alternatives uh global demand for beef lamb chicken is fucking destroying the world right the evidence is there for a number of reasons like even there i mentioned balsonero and the amazon rainforest they're burning the rainforest a lot of it so they can clear that forest and put in pasture lands where they can accommodate beef farming because beef farming in particular is hugely demanding of land right so there was an intergovernmental panel uh, there about a week ago who report on climate change and, and the the things that are facing us a huge issue at the moment is because climate change is multifaceted a big issue we're facing at the moment is the supply of food versus the amount of people on earth currently like we're at I think 6 billion people at the moment on the, on the earth in the next 30 years that's going to grow to 9 billion uh, simply because medicine is is advancing people are living longer and healthier this is a, this is a given 72% of the earth is currently in use simply to feed and clothe human beings so we're going to be reaching a tipping point where there will be shortages it's there's going to be too many people on the planet to feed and clothe now an issue with the a big issue around that is it doesn't really need to be that way right okay so if you look at meat the beef and lamb require massive amounts of land in order to be sustained there's the where the animals themselves can roam but also it's feeding the animals that's one thing you don't think of it's it's feeding the animals a lot of these global animals cattle and lambs and pigs are fed they're not pasteurizing they're not they're not grazing they're fed using crops like soy so huge amounts of forest are you know cut away and you have acres and acres millions of acres of soy being grown which is essentially a monoculture and this is then being fed to the cattle the cattle are farting out all this greenhouse gases and it's destroying the planet now this is a uh, very much as a result of european western dominance okay um the dominant culture of the 20th century and you can include uh, the united states of america in it because the united states of america is essentially a european colony if you're to look at it honestly the you know it, it's it, it was stolen from indigenous people but ruled by europeans so in european cultures beasts of burden such as cows cattle pigs all these these animals ruminants these feature heavily in the european diet going back years and years and years so because of western european supremacy the world's diet has is is these 
cows and pigs, you know? And again, that doesn't need to be that way, okay? That again is a fallacy. It has more to do with desire than need. Now, I don't think a future where everybody is plant-based is realistic. You're just always going to get people who need meat of some description. Alright, so it's not fully realistic to say to everybody, lentils and beans forever and fuck cows. I don't think that's realistic. There is an alternative which is very sustainable and quite realistic but what it requires is for the western taste bud to move beyond its taboos and what I am speaking about is the large scale farming and consumption of insects now insects are already widely consumed in Asia in particular Thailand, Vietnam people love eating insects Okay, um, but one of the issues is, like, if anyone's been to Vietnam or Thailand, they'll be, they'll know this. They'll know they'll go to a market, and you'll see deep-fried spiders or crickets or grubs. But one of the things is, is that even in those countries, like in insects are a novelty. They're sold to us as this tourist novelty, which means that they're. Like, you can go online now and you can buy insect lollipops or whatever, but they're not sold to us as food. It's like... Think of that fucking reality TV show, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And there's always a challenge where they have to eat insects, but it's it's sold to us as this disgusting thing. The entire insect is eaten whole. Do you know? we When we eat meat, pork, beef or whatever, we we never see a fucking cow or a pig... It's become completely sanitised and removed. We buy minced beef. We buy cuts of lamb. These things are far, far removed from the animal in the field. We, we don't even see these as formerly living things. But insects are these whole objects. And they're currently marketed as a novelty food. to As a dangerous novelty food to, to freak people out. Do you know? So that needs to kind of change. Now, firstly, the case for insects as as a, f- a protein, as a, as a meat protein to feed the world. I mentioned earlier about, you know, cows being this incredibly inefficient form of food. They, first off, a cow, I think it's like for, for, one, for one kilogram of meat from a cow, it requires... 25 kilograms of grain or soy to be given to that cow right so that's a 25 to 1 ratio for a kilogram of meat now a kilogram of meat is fuck all lads you go to to Dunn's or Aldi and you buy mince for your spaghetti bolognese it's it's 500 grams so for two packets of mince in beef mince in Dunn's and Aldi that's 50 fucking kilograms of grain and soya that were required for that that little bit of meat now 50 kilograms what's a kilogram a box of cornflakes is a kilogram okay so 50 boxes of cornflakes 
need to be fed to one cow in order to give you two packets of mints. That's fucking insane. That is a lot of land that is required to produce that much grain to feed. Like, I'm just talking about a kilogram, lads. How many packets of mints are in one cow? Okay, so that's insanity. That is an insane ratio that is required. And and that's half the problem, like I'm saying. It's, it's not just the cow's farts. It's the amount of land and resources and water that need to be used to feed the cow in order to give us a bit of meat. It is a very inefficient animal in that respect. An insect, like a cricket or a beetle or whatever the fuck, these cunts need two kilograms of food in order to produce one kilogram of meat. Okay? So that's a two to one ratio. That's, that is, in terms of efficiency, a hell of a lot better. So now think of the amount of land that like that you need less less shit that you need in order to feed these insects insects also they're not particularly they're not very picky insects will eat our food waste do you know in order to grow B- back to the water actually a cow requires 2000 gallons of water to produce 1 kilogram of meat cricket or a beetle or a cockroach requires two gallons of water to produce one kilogram of meat okay so those mathematics lads two thousand to one versus fucking two to one come on to fuck because water is going to get scarce too and one of the fights that we're going to have going forward is to stop utter pricks trying to privatise it Um, let's move on now to We'll say nutrition. Because one of the issues, like I said, like when I'm doing my plant-based business and eating a a plant-based diet as much as I can, I go to the gym, so I'm I'm conscious of protein. Like when I lift weights, I want to make sure I'm getting enough protein into my body. That is a bit of a toughie when you're fully plant-based. There is ways to do it, but you're relying mostly on uh, soy as a good source and um, there's a thing called seitan that isn't bad i think seitan might even come from soy beans there's a way to get the protein in but on a plant-based diet it can get a bit complicated you got to really look at it to make sure you're getting a full amino acid profile um insects and and simply the fact too like if you say to me like why why would I use meat? Like now now I'm plant-based for a reason, but meat offers great convenience. If I'm cooking a meal and there's meat involved, it, the meal is naturally simpler. Like if I'm making a spaghetti bolognese or anything, it's like tomatoes, a couple of vegetables, fuck the meat in, load of nutrients there with the meat. It makes things very simple. When you go plant-based, it becomes a little bit more complex when you're in the kitchen. A small bit more complex because you have to be thinking of... You have to be much more conscious. But with meat, it's convenient and easier. This is why I think insects going forward is a great uh, meat substitute. Okay? Now, nutritional value of insects kicks the living fuck out of most meats that are available. Out of beef. 
first off, it's got a full lemon. Um, it, most insects have, and the thing is, there's all different types of edible insects. Crickets, grubs, cockroaches, loads of them. And they all have different tastes. And they're all, they're different little animals, you know. And they've got a huge, a greater amino acid profile than most animal meats. Huge amounts of iron, calcium, B12, omega-3. They've got prebiotics, probiotics. So nutritionally, insect meat is phenomenal for what humans need. Okay? The problem is simply our taboos and our customs with this global diet that's very Western influenced. That's what we need to challenge. We just need to challenge a fucking idea. And it's not that mad. Do you eat shellfish? A lot of people will say yes. Fucking a prawn is just an insect of the sea. Look at the state of lobsters. If you're saying to me, I'm not eating a a cricket. Ugly pricks. Look at the state of lobsters. Big ugly bastards. Squids. Rotten cunts. Fucking. I mean look, we eat sausages and black pudding. That's just ground up rectum of pig. We're already, we're already eating food that, by traditional standards, should kind of disgust us. But because of social conventions, that doesn't. Black pudding's a lot of blood. So to make the cultural leap, it requires a huge effort. But to make the leap to insect, it's not that mad. I mean, who remembers the horse meat scandal? If If I said to you, do you want a horse burger? You'd go, oh no, I'm not eating a horse. But we were all eating horses for about three years there. Because uh, in, in t- from 2010 to about 2015, a huge amount of what we thought was beef in large supermarkets around the world, particularly in Europe, it was actually horse meat that was passed off as beef. How did that end up happening? Romania. Some... There was a lot of stray horses in Romania and the Romanian government, I believe, brought in some law that these horses had to be killed. So Romania had a load of dead horses on their hands and gangsters got stuck in, ground up the horses and sold it to Europe as beef and we all ate it, you know, and we didn't know any different. Now, I'm not saying horses are the future of meat. They'd be just as unsustainable as beef, but insects are. Let's look at... uh, Aside from the amount of land and water and resources that are being wasted, let's use the word fucking wasted, lads, on this ridiculous Western-led obsession with ruminants as a source of food. Like, 42%, I think, of the dangerous greenhouse gases that are emitted that are causing global warming, right? A big culprit is, is methane. We all know the farts of the cows are the, are the big issue. Forty two percent of the methane that is causing the planet to heat up is caused from uh, cattle, right? The large scale farming of insects not only uses fuck all space and land to house the insects because it can be done vertically in warehouses. Not only does it use less land to feed the insects. Insects would produce 1% of the amount of methane that traditional cattle and pig production or whatever would cause. Another huge benefit of insects 
as food is insects don't require like fresh food to eat right now I said this earlier but just to expand on it like cows you're either looking at a huge amount like in Ireland we're lucky a lot of our cows are actually grass fed but we still have this huge amount of land that's cleared just for fucking grass where there should be meadows and forests for the production of oxygen and to help pollinators so you know you've, you're misusing this land and you're feeding the cattle huge amounts of uh, food that's specifically grown for them insects they they feed on already decaying plant matter which means insects feed on waste so if we are moving towards a society where we're more plant based in our diets you know all plant based production is going to have waste like what can I think of off the top of my head? I don't know, a fucking carrot. Or tomatoes. Tomatoes are very sustainable products. When you eat tomatoes, you're just eating the fruit. But the stalk of the tomato plant, the leaves of the tomato plant, that's essentially waste. Insects eat that. They can eat that. Insects can be eating the organic waste that we don't need from the production of of our own food so how do I see this rolling out because this isn't something you can do overnight unfortunately You, you can't just start demanding people start eating insects in the same way you can't start demanding everybody starts eating plant based diets I'd love to think that it works like that it doesn't humans are humans and and a certain percentage of us are contrarians and that's just how it is Um. I would see the first step in moving towards insects as food is firstly start opening up insect farming, right? The large scale production of insects, not for human consumption, but as animal feed. Now, this is already happening. In fact, in the past six months, Ireland has given out the first licenses. To, for people to produce insects specifically for human and animal consumption there's a company because I just checked them out based in Meath I believe they're only about 6 months they're only going about 6 months they're called Hexafly H-E-X-A-F-L-Y now even looking at their their website right you can kind of tell where is it now so from glancing at the website you can kind of tell that they're dancing around the fact that what they're actually doing is farming insects um, and their specific thing they're not selling insect protein for humans but they're selling it as, a, as an alternative for animal and fish feed right they have a logo of a fly the fl- a fly is in their logo and it says Hexafly Sustainable Natural Commodities which to me would suggest that they're growing larvae like grubs and they're making this grubs into a feed that's being fed to that they would like to see fed to cows, cattle and fish because you can go into the shop and they have sample products in the shop there's uh, insect oil, insect protein and then straight up grubs quite expensive but they're just after starting and they're based up in meat and that right there is a move in the right direction producing insects as a form of 
incredibly nutritious protein that is given to the beef and fish that we eat that's already being farmed as an alternative to grain that or soy that requires huge amounts of deforestation and massive amounts of lands and land and water this company hexafly which are, as i can as far as i can tell are the first ones in ireland are going fuck that we are growing insects or raising insects probably vertically in warehouses and here is an alternative type of equally nutritious feed that we can give the animals so i would see that as step one i think the future is going to be we're not going to be sitting down to a plate full of crickets or a plate full of grubs that's not going to happen i don't think that is one of the issues at the moment as i mentioned the insects currently are a fetishized object it's i'm a celebrity get me out of here eating a deep fried tarantula or a cricket lollipop that you buy online no all that does is it serves to it's like you know buy you know you can buy ostrich meat and alligator meat and fucking what is it ostrich alligator what's the third one emu you know they're novelty foods they're what you do for a laugh but they're not you wouldn't seriously be thinking of eating them every day in the same way you're not going to buy a bag of deep fried crickets and throw it into your stir fry it's something you do to shock your friends it's a novelty thing that's we need to move away from that if we're to accommodate this into western diets what most likely this will take the form of is the insects being ground down into a type of flour now currently because insects are such a niche product in the west like you can go onto amazon now and you can buy yourself a bag of cricket flour right ridiculously nutritious huge amounts of protein uh, amino acids fucking omega oils the whole shebang ridiculously what you would call even though the term superfood is bullshit insect protein is most definitely a superfood kicks the shit out of everything else right so you can buy insect protein online there's insect protein uh, bodybuilder bars you know but again it's still a little bit novelty-ish and incredibly expensive and this is what breaks my heart because it shouldn't be so if i was to buy now a bag of cricket flour which is a highly nutritious protein flour made from crickets it's on amazon currently 12 quid for 250 grams okay so that means a kilogram of cricket flour to buy today for human consumption is 12 and 12 24 50 quid for a kilogram of cricket flour a kilogram of beef will cost me i don't know eight euro probably eight euro for a kilogram of beef less maybe depending on the fat content so that doesn't make sense lads if the cow is this incredibly expensive insustainable animal that you know 500 fucking i can't remember the fucking figures but was it one kilogram of beef requires 25 kilograms of grain incredibly expensive why the fuck can i walk into a shop and buy a kilogram of beef for eight euro that doesn't make sense do you know why it doesn't make sense because it's unsustainable and of course it's destroying the planet yet a kilogram of cricket flour costs me 50 quid that's more expensive than fucking wagyu beef wagyu beef is the most expensive or kobe beef these japanese beefs 
Which is the one? Is Wagyu or Kobe? Wagyu is the one where they fucking wank off the cows and massage them. And that'll cost you 50 quid for the kilogram. I think. Could be less. But that's nuts. So because there's such little interest in growing insects... I have to stop saying growing. In farming insects in the West, it's 50 quid for a kilogram. So the future, I what I would like to see, if we're to actually try and save this fucking planet, is insect cricket flower and grub flower or whatever you have and all the different flavour profiles that each of them have are going to find our way into the supermarket as as a kind of a mince product like mince beef in the same way that I can walk into Dunn's today and I can buy a plant based minced beef and there's no beef in it it just it looks like beef and that's it's convenient and handy because you just fuck it into a spaghetti bolognese but Insects are even more sustainable than that. So it will creep its way into... Like, open up the ingredients of most kind of processed foods. You'll see a lot of soy protein in there to save money on meat protein. Maybe it's supplemented. Maybe, you know, you go and buy your burgers, your beef burgers, and it's 75% cricket and 25% beef. Because... You're not looking at a future where you completely eradicate pork, beef and lamb. You just simply return to how it would have been a hundred years ago when these things were really a fucking treat, as they should be. People didn't eat meat like this, lads. This is only the past 100 fucking years post-industrial revolution that we're gone apeshit on meat. But this isn't the way things are supposed to be. Now I notice the argument of, well, people were malnourished back then. But we don't need to live in a society where we're fucking malnourished. We just need to live in a society where we can still access incredible nutrition, still have very flavourful food, we just have to confront taboos about how we do it, and move the taboo away from what we consider disgusting or yucky, and move it more towards what's good for the planet and what's not. And... I'm sorry, but a kilogram of beef for eight euro should be disgusting. It should be insulting. That kilogram of beef, taking it back to the Argos catalogue earlier, when I was affronted and disgusted at that 220 euro bin, that's that's your kilogram of beef. It's ridiculous. It's the two, two and a half grand American fridge freezer. It's a stupidly extravagant, insane... A product that through mass exploitation for some reason is cheap and cheapness leads to fucking waste so I suppose that's my that's my climate change little podcast let's start thinking about insects let's start start talking about it start moving your brain towards becoming a person who is okay with eating insects shift the taboo do you know these are the things we can do that globally and governments need to do it corporations need to do it for us to move into a place where the planet isn't totally fucked for our children and grandchildren and you know like there's nearly 1.5 million listeners to this podcast globally lads and like you know the last climate podcast that I did was called Chucky Garlon 
where I tried to introduce kind of a, 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 a militant republicanism, republican fucking eco-terrorism into making seed bombs and, and planting wildflower all around Ireland. Like, Kali uh, Ennis, who I had on this podcast six uh, fucking 40 podcasts back or whatever, I don't know. But, you know, Kali was talking about the lack of biodiversity in Ireland and how insects are dying and how frogs are dying and all of this. In the past year, there's been a slight awareness and improvement. Like, you know, county councils in Ireland now, they're, they're aware that it's, it's not good to be mowing all, the, mowing all the public spaces. A lot of county councils have been putting effort into putting wildflower on roundabouts. And, and Kali told me on Twitter that in the past year they've seen a slight increase and improvement in biodiversity because of these small things that people have done around the country. Um, so there you go, right there, something small like that, awareness for everybody, can make this little difference. So what I'd say to you listen to this podcast now, are you a food scientist? Are you a chef? Well, if you are one of these things, I ask you, Please, particularly if you're a food scientist, start getting interested in insects as a type of food. Start thinking. Be the pioneer. Use your expertise. Use your knowledge to be, I want to be the person who can westernize insects as a type of food. Who can accommodate insects into the western diet and play your part in saving the fucking planet. We've seen this with, uh, like, when I was over in Canada, in Vancouver, in Toronto, I went to, they have a burger chain over there called A&W, which is gorgeous, it's fantastic, it's really lovely, it's like a Canadian Burger King, and it's, it's a bit more natural than Burger King, you know, it, it is a lot nicer, but when I was there, like, I didn't want to be like, ah, I'm on holidays, it's grand, I'll have a burger. But I was half going like, ah, fuck it, I'm on holidays. So I went in going, fuck that, all right, I know it's a Wednesday, but I'm getting my burger. So I went in to get my burger, and in A&W they were selling a burger, a burger called Beyond Meat, which was a plant-based burger. So I said, fuck it, give me that. So they gave it to me. I didn't notice the difference. I didn't notice the difference. It was lovely. But that happened because of food science. Food scientists had to go... How are we going to get plants to taste like meat so that people like me can rock into a burger joint when I'm pissed and not cheat on my diet? And it worked. So let's go there with insects. If you're a food scientist or if you're a, if you're a chef, if you're a chef and you're interested in food and you like getting creative, try and get your hands on some insect protein online and see what you can come up with. You can pioneer this shit. Do you know move it towards the western diet because fair play to the people in the Asian countries who are sitting down eating entire bags of deep fried crickets but I think that's a hard sell here but a pound of cricket mince I could see I could see people eating that I could see your da eating that that's who you need to feed you need to feed your stubborn father who's demanding his steak what can you feed your stubborn da as he leaves through his grubby German pornography that he smuggled up his jumper from a fucking from Stansted Airport in 1983. That's called a callback, lads. 
That's how you do a, a circular narrative to the podcast to make it seem like I had a structure all along. All right. God bless. I'll talk to you next week. Um, I don't. I think that's it. I think I covered all aspects of insects as food. I think that was it. If I left anything out, I'll talk next week. Yart. Um, all right, finally, uh, just gigs. Australian tour, lads. Almost sold out. Okay. Brisbane, Perth, Melbourne, Sydney. Look it up online. Blind by Live Podcast Australia. I'm aware the fucking irony. Finishing my climate change podcast by taking a big dirty plane to Australia. But what are you going to do? Trying my best to uh, address my, my personal... What would you call it? Not offset my carbon emissions. Okay. But I'd still want to go to Australia and do a bit of, bit of, few gigs. Also... Right, there's lots of gigs in September. I'll tell you more next week. N- next one is in, in, in Mo Theatre in, in Nace. Well, that's the 6th of September, lads. Kildare. Wait, is Nace in Kildare? It is. The Mo Theatre. Did it the last time. Sold it out. It was a good crack. 6th of September. Almost sold out in, in Nace. There's a gig in fucking Sligo coming up, lads, and I'm having my heart broken. Um, A gig in Sligo is coming up. I, I believe it's September, is it? Uh, no, it's October. It's October, I think. Please, for fuck's sake, come to the Sligo gig or tell your friend about it because I'm getting my heart broken by a promoter. Go on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.